Thank you so much. Uh, thank you especially as a congregation uh, for your warm welcome and reception uh, for me and my wife. It's been a joy to be with you um, and to share in your missions conference. What I've tried to do is to get you to think about the mission of the church of which you are a part in more of a global manner and to sort of lift up your eyes and think about how it is um, that you as a local church are a part of this great movement, the greatest, greatest movement that has ever been upon the earth, uh, this ongoing spread of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope it's been encouraging to you um, and that you'll think about the part you play in this worldwide global spread of the kingdom of God. Special thanks to uh, your, your elders and your deacons for um, the way they planned for this weekend and for the prayer that's gone into preparing for this weekend and also for your pastors. Um, Pastor Robbins, who's a good personal friend, Pastor Dodd, I've known him for some time, uh, Pastor King, I've just met this weekend, <laughs> Pastor King, that's a burden or something to really aspire to. Um, at our church, I try to get our associates to refer to me as Pastor Barnes, and I would refer to them by, in, in a more formal sense, Pastor Bolio, Pastor Went, whatever the assistant or associate pastor was, as over against calling one another by our first names. Little children out there don't know me as Roland, um, they know me as Pastor Barnes, so I try to get them to do that, but Pastor King, it could be worse. <laughs> there is a minister of the gospel in our, in our community, his name is Pastor Miracle. <laughs> how, about, how about that for something to live up to? Well, tonight uh, you've heard the reading of God's Word. It's the last of our series, and I want us to think tonight about the worth of the kingdom. And the, our Lord Jesus compares the kingdom uh, to a man who, uh, on, the, on the one hand, finds, sort of, he stumbles upon um, a pearl or a treasure and then goes and buys the field so he can have the treasure. And then a, he compares it to a man who knows um, of a treasure and is seeking the treasure. And when he finds the treasure, he buys uh, the treasure. And then also um, the last one about uh, the parable of the dragnet that tells us about the final day when the kingdom comes to its conclusion and the judgment day arrives. So I want us to think tonight about the value or the worth of the kingdom of God. And you can think about that personally. What is its value to you? What does it mean to you personally to be a subject of this great kingdom that is ruled over by the king of kings and the Lord of lords? our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can think about it in a 
broader sense of what it means for you to be together as a body of believers, what I've called a kingdom outpost, as it were. You are a, uh, an outpost at the uttermost parts of the realm, uh, expanding further the boundaries of your king's rule and reign, and then to be a part of this global kingdom that encompasses the earth. And what is its value to you? How does that reflect uh, itself in your personal life and corporate life together as a body of believers? Now, I've spoken some about uh, the conquistadors, Pizarro and Cortez in particular this weekend because of my connection to uh, the ministry that you support in Peru, especially Alonzo Ramirez, uh, who is a good personal friend of mine, has been for now over two decades. And I've been to Peru over 20 times and spent amount, a, a, a fair amount of time um, there in that ministry. I'm not a formally a part of what's called Peru Mission. That is an organization um, which has missionaries that it supports. And, and Alonzo Ramirez is a part of Peru Mission. I'm not a part of Peru Mission, but I am supporting the work of Alonzo and the EAPP, his denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Peru. So it is a mission in Peru, but it's not formally Peru mission. So the conquistadors um, are of some interest to me because it was through uh, their travels that the Bible, that some understanding of the Christian faith, albeit aberrant and with many errors and weaknesses, was brought into uh, Central and South America. And so what they did and what impact they had still is dominant in the lives of those countries that find themselves in Central and South America. But there is a, now a movement, an evangelical movement, a reclaiming of the pure gospel of God's free grace in Jesus that is gaining traction now after some 2,000 years. So it has been of some interest to me, and so I've read several books of their travels and of their impact. The conquistadors were, to a large extent, moved to venture the dangers of crossing the Atlantic Ocean by the promise of gold. That wasn't the only thing that motivated them, but that was a dominant motivation in many ways. In fact, uh, one of the um, historians, Aztec historians, because not only did the Spaniards have their historians who recorded what was going on, but also um, there were Indian historians who wrote their version as well. And um, they also record something of the interest uh, that was reflected in the actions of these Spaniards with regard to the pursuit of wealth. So one writes before the pagan priest left, there was a last emblematic exchange. Cortez could not, of course, let such a momentous meeting end without asking if they had more gold. He said, Cortez said, it is good for a bad heart 
You see, my men suffer from a disease of the heart which can only be assuaged by gold. And the pagan priest replied that they did have more gold, lots of it. It was, to say the least, a dangerous admission. Another chronicler says the Spaniards appeared to be light, delighted. Uh, they seized upon the gold like monkeys. Their faces flushed, for clearly their thirst for gold was insatiable. They starved for it. They lusted for it. They wanted to stuff themselves with it as if they were pigs. They went about fingering the streamers of gold, passing them back and forth, grabbing them one to the other, bubbling, talking gibberish among themselves. So how much gold did these Spaniards send back to Spain? There have been several estimations. By 1560, the conquistadors had shipped over 100 tons of gold back to Spain, in effect, more than doubling the quantity of the precious metal now in Europe. And many lost their lives as a result of their incessant search for gold. Now the question for you, the question for me, especially as we think about the kingdom of God and our participation in it, is what do I consider of such value that I would risk my very life to obtain it. What do you consider of such value that you would risk your life in order to obtain it? What would be considered by you to be such a treasure that it would, in a sense, captivate you and we have things that we would call treasures in our life. We have little tea treasures, right? Little things that we like, that we put up and in a place we can look at and they give us delight. I have a treasure. Um, after about 10 years of ministry in Trinity, our congregation gave me a 1658 edition of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I consider that to be a treasure. But this is one category of treasure. It is a kind of treasure you keep for yourself, that you guard, that you put away in order to protect it. But there is another kind of treasure, one that you share with those whom you love. In our text, our Lord instructs us in the worth of the kingdom. We note five things about its worth. It's worth secured, it's worth sacrificed for, it's worth sought after, it's worth singular, it's worth at stake, and lastly, it's worth shared. Let's think about this, the value of the kingdom. First, it's worth secured. Verse 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. Now here our Lord compares uh, the kingdom of heaven to a treasure of inestimable worth 
so much so that the man who finds the treasure hides it in order that he might secure it for himself. You know, when I was a boy, I used to collect pennies, sometimes dimes. Back then, you could find old pennies, uh, and you could find some dimes that were actually in some quarters that were actually made of silver, not the stuff we have today. And uh, we would go to the bank with a $10 bill, and we'd buy 10 rolls of 100 pennies or 20 rolls of 50 pennies, and then we would sort through all of those pennies carefully looking for some kind of treasure. And, I've, and all the pennies I went through, I think I found one, one penny that was maybe worth something. It was an 1876 Indian head penny. But the head was almost completely rubbed off. You could barely tell that it was an Indian head penny. But it was a treasure to me. Of course, today I have no idea where it is. Um, it, it disappeared many, many years ago. But it was a treasure to me. Some professed believers act as though their salvation, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, their, their citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is something common, not something to be treasured. The eternal well-being of their souls is something commonplace. Once having received it, if they in effect have received it, they pursue it no further. It is of no more interest to them and nothing is done to secure it in their lives. I hope that's not descriptive of you. I hope that you can never get over the idea that you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The kingdom of heaven is indeed a treasure worth securing. And it may be questionable whether one can say he has possessed it if he does not constantly pursue it. I think this is partly what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he says in Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your salvation in fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. When he writes the Corinthians and says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, examine yourselves, be much in prayer, be much in the word of God, be much with the people of God on the Lord's day. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure worth securing. And the mission of the church begins when you treasure the kingdom of heaven. You will not embrace the mission of the church if you don't treasure the kingdom of heaven. Now note the manner in which this man is said to have found this treasure. He seems to rather have stumbled upon it without really searching for it. He's just going along and he finds a treasure in a field that was hidden in a field. He takes it and he goes and hides it again that he might secure it. Yet it is nonetheless a treasure to him, no matter that he was not looking for it, but found it. Perhaps some of you have been reared in the church within the confines of 
this manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on earth and you have been here all your life, you have heard much about King Jesus, you have heard much about the gospel of the kingdom, you have attended many missions conferences like this one, you have never really searched for the kingdom of heaven. You found it in your home because your parents are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Yet it is a treasure. Is it a treasure to you? The conquistadors stole the world's treasure. The world is bankrupt with its fool's gold. And we have found that which is true treasure indeed. And we bring this treasure, the kingdom of heaven itself, to a bankrupt world. And since it is the only true treasure, it is not only to be secured, it is also worth sacrificing for. Note verse 44, we are told, from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That is, in this man's mind, the treasure is so precious, so great, so exquisite, that he's willing to give up all that he has to obtain it. There is nothing more valued in all his life than this treasure. And he will sacrifice anything he has in order to obtain it. And our Lord's teaching is that there is nothing in all the world that is comparable to the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, a man who correctly recognizes its worth is willing to part with any of his most valuable possessions that he might have this one treasure of inestimable worth. Any man who sees correctly the weight of his sin and the danger of his soul, any man or woman who sees the great value of the kingdom of heaven, any man who sees what it offers to his or her soul, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, restoration in new heavens and new earth, any man who sees the kingdom of heaven correctly will give up anything, everything to have it. This, of course, was the rich young ruler's problem. He could not make the assessment. He saw the kingdom of heaven on the one hand, but he had all these many possessions on the other, and so he left. He went away sad because he did not esteem correctly the value of the kingdom of heaven. But this man in the parable, this man, he was willing to sacrifice all to have the kingdom of heaven. And it was for him not a, a chore or a burdensome task. It was a joyous sacrifice and a satisfying sacrifice. Note our Lord says that this man sells all for joy over it. He is so excited, so joyous to have possession of this one thing that when he leaves, he has no regrets about any sacrifice or any loss of anything of earthly value. He has no buyer's remorse. The sacrifice was made joyously and voluntarily. 
What if your boss said to you, I want you to come with me to Europe for a week, all expenses paid. However, you're going to have to forego a week of work. Tough sacrifice, right? Oh, please. Probably not. You would joyously make the sacrifice. So this man is overjoyed to make the sacrifice of all his possessions to gain the treasure. Now it stands to reason that if a man is willing to give all to gain the kingdom of God, he would also be willing to sacrifice that others might also find it. The sacrifices we make to proclaim the kingdom gospel around the world are worth it. Every penny you spend to support the missionaries that are on your mission team, that they might go forth into this world of darkness and shine the light of the gospel is worth it. So I wonder how, how do you see the worth of the kingdom and the sacrifices that you might make for the kingdom? This man was joyous, but also he had a sense of satisfaction, I think. I think he would say it was worth it every sacrifice I made. The sacrifice is not too much because the greatest needs of his soul have been met. Now, people in this world who are in darkness cannot understand um, this sort of evaluation. People outside the kingdom can't understand why you would make these kinds of sacrifices. I remember many years ago, Dr. John Gerstner, who was my professor in seminary, came to Macon, Georgia, where I was on the staff of First Presbyterian Church, to speak on Puritanism. And he and I were interviewed by a local TV program. And there was a young woman who was interviewing us. And she was amazed that I, a young man of about 27 years old, would embrace the Puritan ethic. Aren't you missing out? But my soul was satisfied with the gift of the kingdom of God by the sacrifice of King Jesus. So how much is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? Would you, have you, sacrificed for the kingdom of heaven? Cortez and Pizarro risked the dangers of sea travel across the Atlantic to satisfy their thirst for gold and power. Would you sacrifice to take this treasure to the ends of the earth? So it's worth secured, it's worth sacrificed for. Thirdly, it's worth sought after. Now Jesus gives us a little bit different of a parable. He turns and gives us a different perspective. Verses 45 and 46, the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So previously we noted that the man who found and hid the treasure apparently sort of stumbled upon it. He wasn't looking for treasures per se. But here our Lord presents quite a different picture. This merchant is seeking fine pearls. In this parable, the kingdom of heaven is represented by a pearl of great value, which is worth seeking after. I'm certain if I asked you to gather me with me tomorrow morning um, out on the street here to look for old used bottle caps strewn up and down the highway side, I would have very little takers, and rightly so. They are worthless. 
But if I told you I know of a certain rock in a wall where there is hidden $100,000 in gold coins, I dare say you might all join me in the search, maybe. Some of you are always looking for a deal. You'll drive across town and spend dollars, hundreds of dollars of gas to find a deal. Some regard the kingdom of heaven as though it were of no more than an old bottle cap of some sort or another. They seek it very little, if at all. They'd rather seek the pearls of this world, the cars and houses and land, clothes. But Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But many in this world are spiritually hungry, and they are seeking for true wealth, for that that has eternal value. In fact, Jesus told us there would be some who would be trying to take the kingdom of God by force. And Jesus also told us, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So we call them. We call them to enter into the kingdom by faith in the king. Jesus is calling his sheep around the world and they will seek after him. And we must be there to tell them where they can find him. So his worth also is salt. And then we note, fourthly, it's worth Singular. There's nothing of equal value. Jesus says in verse 46, upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here our Lord teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is of peculiar worth. There's nothing to which it can be compared. It is in a class all by itself of singular worth among all the pearls of this world. This merchant is willing to give up all he owns that he might possess this one pearl. It is this one pearl as over against all others that he seeks. So it's like the art dealer who would rather care to own one painting of a master, a Rembrandt, than to own a thousand paintings of ordinary artists. And often, you know, children don't learn this lesson. They can be easily bamboozled and tricked by their older siblings. Here, if you'll give me that $5 bill, I'll give you two ones, and you'll have two instead of one. They don't realize that the five is worth five times the one. And they get snookered by their older sibling. What we often need as believers is some values clarification. Spiritual values clarification. What is truly of the highest value in this world? It is to lay hold of the kingdom of heaven. If you live your life throughout this world and have all the riches this world can offer and you have not this one pearl of great price, you lose everything in the day of judgment. It is to know the king himself and to be his loyal subject, performing his will in his domain. We must go into the world and tell them, even as we just sang, 
that there is something of far greater value than anything you can find in this world. This is our mission, to extol the exceeding value of knowing Christ, the King. So is this your personal value judgment? Or are you yet so enamored by so many pearls, little p, in this world? Would you hold on to pennies when God offers you the inestimable value of his kingdom? Or would you give them up for the surpassing value of knowing Christ? In some ways, a missions conference is kind of a a season for values clarification in the life of the church. Refocus on why we're here and what we're about and what we're trying to achieve for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't possess this one pearl of great price, then you are indeed poverty-stricken. The people of this world are chasing after so many false pearls, but there's only one of true value. This is our mission, to tell them about it. Fifthly, it's worth ignored, or it's worth at stake. What happens if you ignore the surpassing value of knowing Christ the King and being a part of his kingdom? Well, the parable of the dragnet comes right after these two other parables that talk about the value of the kingdom. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. When it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out of Take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a judgment day that comes. In the consummation of the kingdom, there shall be a reckoning. And there shall be judgment. And besides repeating the thrust of the parable that tears, this parable as it follows the two parables of the kingdom's worth, gives us an appropriate warning, lest we fail to heed the message of the value of the kingdom and do all that we need to do to secure that treasure for ourselves personally and find ourselves in great peril on the day of judgment. There will be a day of separation, a day of judgment with this impending judgment not press upon us the exceeding precious worth of the kingdom of heaven. For only those who are members of the kingdom of heaven shall escape this terrible judgment that shall surely fall upon us. Only those who have sought refuge in the arms of King Jesus will escape it. And those who don't possess the precious pearl who will not sell all in order to have it will lose all. So if you'll not give up all for the surpassing value of the kingdom, then you'll lose all without the kingdom. Jesus in Matthew 13, 12 says, For whoever has to him shall more be given, he who has an abundance. But whoever does not have, even 
what he has shall be taken away from him. There is a lot at stake in a mis-evaluation of the kingdom, your own soul. And then lastly, the worth of the kingdom proclaimed. This is our mission, to proclaim to the world that there is something of surpassing value, more valuable than anything that is found in this world. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything in this world. It is so costly that no one on earth can purchase it. It cannot be bought with money. It cannot be earned. It cannot be merited by good works. It is offered as the free gift of the king. God's riches at Christ's expense. And Jesus told his disciples and us as well, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end shall come. This is our incomparable privilege that we proclaim this message about something of inestimable value, the kingdom of heaven, to know the king who alone forgives sins and gives eternal life. This we proclaim to the nations of the earth. It is worth securing. It is worth sacrificing for. It is worth seeking after. It must not be ignored because your very soul is at stake. It will cost you your soul if you ignore it. It is worth proclaiming to all the world. And there are many who want to hear it. And there's much reason to be encouraged. I close with a, some more information from the Gordon Conwell study on um, global trends Seven Encouraging Trends of Global Christianity in 2022. These are some observations they make about the state of the kingdom of God in the world today. Quote, with more Christians living outside of Christian nations, more non-Christians know a Christian. In 1900, only 5.4% of non-Christians could identify a Christian they knew. Only 5.4% of non-Christians could identify a Christian they knew. That number has grown to 18.3% today. By 2050, one in five non-Christians, 20%, will know a follower of Jesus and have the opportunity to hear the gospel from them if they value the kingdom. As a result, the percentage of unevangelized people around the world continues to fall. In 1900, more than half the world's population, 54.3%, was unevangelized. That has fallen to 28%. Here's an interesting little fact. More than 90 million Bibles will be printed this year. That was in 2022. 
As Christianity continues to grow, the printing of Bibles continues to grow along with it this year. It says, I think this is 2023, 93 million copies of God's Word will be printed, up from 54 million in the year 2000. That's almost a 100% increase. And 5 million, up from 5 million in the year 1900. By 2025, 100 million Bibles will be preached each year, will be printed each year. Currently, almost 1.8 billion Bibles are in circulation around the world. That will climb to 2.5 billion by 2050. God's Word continues to expand into new languages in new and exciting ways, including pastors and theologians in India developing and printing a first-of-its-kind Telugu. I don't know how to pronounce the word. I'll get corrected later. Study Bible for the nearly 90 million speakers of that language in the country. It's a great day to be alive and be a Christian, be a subject of the kingdom of heaven. How glorious. Kingdom outpost, pointing searching souls to the king, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the surpassing value of knowing the king. To possess the kingdom, or better yet, to be possessed by the king, is indeed a pearl of great price. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for dispatching your Holy Spirit from your throne in heaven to take the work of Jesus that was done on our behalf 2,000 years ago and apply it to our souls that we might see the surpassing value of knowing Christ, this pearl of great price, membership in your kingdom. Lord, thank you for this congregation and for its investment in your kingdom. Bless them, prosper them, encourage them, I pray.